Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. This week, more and more people are getting vaccinated, and major and minor movie theater chains all over the world are opening up. And I think that's a very good sign. I happen to be one of those people who have gotten my second COVID shot, but I'm sort of easing my way back into movie theaters. But rest assured, I always say that the preferred way to watch movies, at least for me, is in a movie theater. Again, I've said this before, I'm not against streaming or watching movies on DVD or Blu-ray, but to get the full experience of a movie, I have to be in a place where the screen is huge and I can turn off my cell phone and not have any other distractions. So it's great that that's coming back. Having said that, there are movies this week that have been released into theaters but I have not gotten the chance to see them because I'm not yet going into theaters. But I think that next week I'm going to start reviewing movies that are exclusively at theaters and not available on streaming. But I'm not going to completely give up streaming either because that's a quick and efficient way to watch movies these days. But anyway, the first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you out of the three that I have to review for you for the show is Those Who Wish Me Dead. This has been released in theaters. It's out in theaters now and also on HBO Max. And this is a movie about a teenage murder witness who finds himself pursued by twin assassins in the Montana wilderness with a survival expert, played by Angelina Jolie, tasked with protecting him and a forest fire threatening to consume them all. The director of this movie is Taylor Sheridan, And Taylor Sheridan has made a name for himself as a director and as a screenwriter. Amongst the movies he's written, the stories and screenplays for include Sicario from 2015, starring Emily Blunt, Benicio Del Toro, and Josh Brolin. That was an excellent film that that was kind of underrated when it came out, I thought. Hell or High Water was the next film that he wrote, and that one was pretty good. Wind River was another underrated one with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen that also, like uh, um, the movie I just mentioned with (laughs) uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, take place in a remote area of the United States. That one was excellent. He also wrote Sicario Day of the Soldado, which, um, of course, was a sequel to Sicario. And I could go on about the movies he's written, but actually the other things or other types of medium for which he's written have been mainly um, made-for-TV episodes or movies, with the exception of Those Who Wish Me Dead. So he directed this movie, and he wrote the screenplay for it. He also wrote the screen story for Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, which is available for streaming right now. That movie stars Michael B. Jordan, and I have not seen it yet, but it's on my list. And I I don't know if it's too old for me at this point to review on this show, but maybe I'll get back to it. But anyway, Those Who Wish Me Dead is Angelina Jolie's first film in a while, at least a couple of years. And it does sort of seem like, even though 
Angelina Jolie has been in high-profile movies like Maleficent. She also seems like one of those actresses we haven't seen in a while. At the same time, she's also one who's so accomplished that she could conceivably live off her residuals for the rest of her life and be just fine. But it's good to see her back, particularly in an action movie role. And she plays a smoke jumper, and that's somebody who puts out force... Man, my throat. Hang on. (coughs) Ah, Sorry about that. So, um, Angelina Jolie plays Hannah Faber, who is a smoke jumper. And a smoke jumper is somebody who jumps out of a plane, of course with a parachute, and puts out forest fires this way. And she used to live on the edge, although one forest fire cost the life of three young boys that she failed to save. And she's now posted in a fire lookout tower in the middle of the Montana forest. And meanwhile, while she is working there, there is a forensic accountant named Owen Casserly who learns about the death of his boss and his family in an apparent gas explosion. And I say apparent because in this gas explosion, they were actually murdered by brothers and assassins, Jack and Patrick Blackwell. And believing that he is the next to be targeted, Owen Casserly goes on the run with his son, Connor, to seek refuge with his brother-in-law, who is a deputy sheriff and happens to be Hannah's ex-boyfriend. So just a little bit of uh, background on this. Let me see. Uh, The deputy sheriff in this movie is named Ethan Sawyer, or at least that's his character's name. He's played by John Bernthal, probably best known for modern audiences for being in The Walking Dead. Um, But he's also been in several other movies. He even had a prominent role in The Wolf of Wall Street. And his nephew in this movie is a young actor by the name of Finn Little, who plays Connor, who Angelina Jolie's character finds herself um, hired to, or rather put upon to protect. And not only are they trying to evade these twin assassins who want them dead because he's an important witness to a crime, but they also have to find themselves battling the Montana wilderness, both forest fires and lightning storms. So it is, I guess you could say, a conventional action film, but I liked it. I especially liked that with all these other action films coming out with CGI robots and CGI monsters, that this one sticks to the natural elements and actually shows them as being scary, which you probably wouldn't know unless you were either watching one of those A&E shows about people who survive in the wilderness or participate in those shows themselves. We've seen movies before about the only living witness who the hero or heroine of the movie is hired to protect. But I think one of the big things about this film that I really liked was Angelina Jolie in the lead role. She was actually, she's actually very convincing as somebody who's been fighting forest fires all her adult life. And as we probably know from reading the tabloids, that's not the life she leads. But it shows that she's still, after Tomb Raider and 
other action films she hasn't done in a while. She's still got it as an action star. And I don't exactly know if this movie is going to be considered her comeback movie, but I do think it's pretty much off to a, a, a good start, or her comeback is off to a, a really good start. So I found myself intrigued by this film, and there are some actual other people in this film who I didn't expect to see, like, for instance, Tyler Perry plays an investigator named Arthur, and also John Bernthal's girlfriend in the movie, maybe even wife, is played by an actress named Medina Senghorn, and she, who I've, I don't believe I've ever seen her before on screen, has a really good scene where the twins catch up to her in pursuit of John Bernthal's character, and despite her being pregnant, she gives these twins a really good fight. So, Those Who Wish Me Dead is a film that I wish I could have seen on the big screen, but I have HBO Max, and that's good enough for now. I do think that Taylor Sheridan is one of the more competent action filmmakers, and I think he gets to the root of what makes action films exciting without CGI. It's not his greatest film, but Those Who Wish Me Dead gets a checkout in my book because it is a very fun movie to watch. It does use a lot of tropes and other things we've seen before, but if it hadn't been for Angelina Jolie's performance and also the natural elements of these films being a formidable opponent to the heroes in this film... It otherwise probably would have been forgettable, but those two elements of this film made it worth watching for me. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Woman in the Window. This is a Netflix original that premiered on the platform on May 14th, 2021. And it's the story about an agoraphobic woman who is also a child psychologist. She's played by Amy Adams. Her character's name is Anna Fox. And she lives alone in a New York brownstone. I think it's probably Brooklyn, but it could be anywhere in New York. But she begins spying on her new neighbors, only to witness a disturbing act of violence. And the neighbors in this movie include uh, a businessman who lived in Boston before moving to New York. His name is Alastair Russell, and he's played by Gary Oldman. And despite having lived in Boston... He is actually from England, and this is actually probably one of the first times I've heard Gary Oldman with a British accent in quite some time. I think the last time we heard Gary, or at least I heard Gary Oldman with a British accent, he was in Darkest Hour where he played Winston Churchill. So it's been quite a while, and I did not expect him to have a British accent in a movie that takes place in America, but... um. Amy Adams' character, because she's agoraphobic, what agoraphobic means is that uh, fear of the outside world. 
And the movie doesn't tell you right off how she becomes psychologically agoraphobic. It kind of builds up to that. And it builds up to, I think, one of the best parts of the movie. But eventually, she has people come visit her, including her new 15-year-old neighbor, Ethan Russell, who's played by Fred Hetchinger. And Fred Hetchinger is a young actor I don't believe I've seen in any other movies before this one. He actually was in another Netflix original called News of the World. He had a supporting performance in the movie Eighth Grade, which was directed by Bo Burnham. And even though I don't remember him in that movie, Eighth Grade was an excellent film. I still haven't seen News of the World. He's been in a couple of films, and the... Um, the internet is not telling me how old he is, but he's probably no older than 20, but I thought he did a good job in this film, certainly playing a social misfit who befriends somebody else who becomes a psychological misfit as well. And at first Amy Adams befriends who she's told is Ethan Russell's mother, Jane Russell, who's played by Julianne Moore. And maybe I'm spoiling this a little bit, but you learn that Julianne Moore's character is not who she says she is, or maybe she is, but somebody else is uncovering the truth. So without spoiling anymore, I will just tell you a little bit of the middle of this movie without giving too much away. So Amy Adams' character won't come out of her apartment for the reasons I just mentioned. And while she is looking out her window at other neighbors' apartments, she finds a a character getting murdered. I'm not going to tell you who that character is, but even though she calls the police as she should, eventually she finds that the Russell family is hiding something and the patriarch of the family, played by Gary Oldman, seems to be hiding a little bit more than the police can catch on to finding themselves. But as the story progresses and the mystery unravels, you also learn a little bit more about Amy Adams's character's background. Not only that she still is a psychologist for young people, but also you learn why she is separated from her husband, Ed, who's played by Anthony Mackie. And I'm not going to tell you what happens. I, it's, it's one of those things where the, the mystery unravels. And the thing that actually kind of bothered me about this film is the fact that when you have a character who is sequestered in their home, And they find themselves with nothing better to do except to look out their window and find something mysterious happening with their neighbors. The first thing I think of, and maybe several other cinephiles think of too, is Rear Window. The movie starring Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. That was the movie that set the standard for people who were trapped inside their house and witness a murder that no one else believes. And I think that it's just not really all that original, the the concept, although the woman in the window is actually based upon a novel by the same of the same name by AJ Finn. So maybe the novel had more originality to it than this movie did, but it actually does surprise me that this this is 
based on a book because it feels like the Alfred Hitchcock movie a lot more than I think the filmmakers intended to have it. The, the movie The Woman in the Window is directed by Joe Wright, and Joe Wright is a British director who has also directed such movies as uh, the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice, starring Kira Knightley, Atonement from 2007, which is uh, starring Brad Pitt and several other people, The Soloist, which is uh, a feel-good movie starring... Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr., which was a little bit of Oscar bait, but it's it has its fans. He also directed the critically derailed Pan from 2015, which a lot of people didn't like. And seeing as Rooney Mara in that movie was playing Tiger Lily, it was also, I think rightly so, criticized for whitewashing uh, that character. And I think that was a very valid criticism. Plus, even in spite of... Rooney Mara playing um, playing a character who was not supposed to be white. She just wasn't the right fit for that character. So Joe Wright's directorial efforts have been hit or miss here and there. And this one, because it feels formulaic when it really shouldn't be, is one of those films that um, is one of his misses. And... It's, it's not the fault of anybody in this film. This, this film has a lot of great actors. Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Brian Tyree Henry, and also some actors we haven't seen for a while who acted pretty well in this, like Fred Hetchinger and Wyatt Russell, the latter of whom plays um, Amy Adams' character's basement tenant. And he has a role in this movie too, but I wanted more from this. And I think that the conventional story, especially as it parallels rear window takes away from any originality this movie could potentially have. And I thought the ending was a little too, um, I wouldn't say happy, but it tied everything together a little too well. So for that reason, the woman in the window gets my rating of a strikeout. It's not a terrible movie. It's well acted. I think the actors do what they can with the film, but it the tension that was in Rear Window, both the Alfred Hitchcock movie and actually the surprisingly good made-for-TV remake starring Christopher Reeve, just is not in The Woman in the Window. Uh, again, th- this there, there aren't a lot of films that have copied rear window in terms of its setup and its payoff. But every time a movie like for instance, what lies beneath has tried to copy that trope, people immediately associated it with rear window. And I don't think that the woman in the window can compete. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. 
The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Netflix original that came out on April 30th, 2021. So I'm a little late to the party here, but I figured I'd review it because there are only so many movies that I've seen this week. And this is one of them. The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is produced by Sony Pictures Animation and any other um, movie studio or rather animation studio that ha- uh, that is not Disney, Pixar or DreamWorks kind of gets lost in the shuffle because I am a cinephile myself, but I get animation companies mixed up all the time. For instance, Sony Pictures Animation and Illumination Studios I get mixed up constantly, but anyway, Sony pictures animation has brought us such films as open season. That was their very first film, which was decent. Uh, surfs up came out a year later and that movie, uh, had some much better animation than open season, but I still haven't seen it. They also came out with cloudy with a chance of meatballs, the Smurfs, Arthur Christmas, which is kind of a new Christmas classic. The three Hotel Transylvania movies, which I thought were very good and certainly had the energy of the uh, Bugs Bunny uh, cartoons. And they also, brace yourself here, they came out with the Emoji Movie in 2017, which is still considered one of the worst animated films of all time. But that's probably Sony Pictures Animation's only setback, really. Um, The Mitchells vs. the Machines is fortunately not uh, pandering like the Emoji Movie was. And I think a lot of things that people don't say about the Emoji Movie is the fact that the Emoji Movie did have very good animation. And I will give it that credit. But... People could see right through the pandering and the product placement and critics and audiences alike were not happy, but the movie still was monetarily a box office hit, but the Mitchells versus the machines was originally set to be released in theaters in 2020, but we all know why that didn't happen. So the Mitchells versus the machines is about a quirky dysfunctional family's road trip that is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Why is this family dysfunctional? Well, it's dysfunctional because the movie or the the premise right there tells you that it's dysfunctional. But honestly, when you look at the show or rather the movie and and see this family interacting with one another, they actually look like a decently functional family. Just one that has its share of disagreements. And I don't think that makes it a dysfunctional family. I think there are other shows like Roseanne or married with children that show real dysfunctional families. And those are just the comedies. I could tell you the dramas about dysfunctional families, but I won't get into that either. But anyway, the Mitchell family, um, includes Katie, who is a high school student who is on her way to college. And she is an aspiring filmmaker living with her family in Kentwood, Michigan. I don't know if Kentwood, Michigan is a real town. Oh, actually it is. Excuse me. Uh, Kentwood is a city. I I guess it's a city rather than a town. And its population was 48,707 as of the 2010 census. I don't think the 2020 census has come out yet, but 
Yep, Kentwood is a real town. So he, she often finds herself clashing with her father, Rick, who is both nature-obsessed and also technophobic, a little bit of a Luddite. And Katie Mitchell has been accepted to film school in California. And the four of them, uh, the, the, the four family members, um, go on a road trip to uh, California before uh, Katie goes off to college. And let me just tell you the other members of the family. Uh, there's Rick's wife, Linda, who's voiced by Maya Rudolph. And then there's also the dinosaur-loving son, Aaron, who's played by Mike Rianda, who also, interestingly enough, voices uh, a talking dog in the movie, uh, the Furbies, and another character who is a Wi-Fi enthusiast. And the four of them certainly have their grievances, but again, I wouldn't exactly call them a dysfunctional family. They seem to be a typical American family who has problems, but... I think, as is typical of some movies these days who mention social media, the matriarch of the family, Linda, finds herself envious of their neighbors, Haley and Jim Posey, who, I kid you not, are voiced by Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, respectively. Not only are they married in real life, but Chrissy Teigen lives on social media. So I think she probably jumped at the opportunity to be in this role. But I think we all know families like this who post obsessively on social media and make their family look really good. I don't have a family of my own with whom to compare to these other families, but even I get annoyed by this excessive social media posting. But rather than Maya Rudolph's character being annoyed, she she is actually envious because she thinks that these people actually live this glamorous life that they are portraying on social media. So how do the machines work into the Mitchells versus the machines? Well, there is a tech entrepreneur by the name of Dr. Mark Bowman, who's voiced by Eric Andre, who is the founder of Pal Labs, which is a social media company. And he invents a virtual assistant like Siri or Alexa, whose name is Pal, who's voiced by Olivia Coleman. And she actually ends up taking over the entire company and imprisoning Dr. Mark Bowman herself. Not only does she imprison Mark Bowman, but she also imprisons, through, with the help of her robot minions, the entire world, except for the Mitchells. They somehow evade the robot capture and the near apocalypse of the earth. And I think that that's where the movie starts to get really interesting and really original. And I did find myself trying not to, but comparing the movie to the Incredibles because the, the father in this movie, whose name is Rick, uh, is, I, I forgot to mention, by the way, he's voiced by Danny McBride and he is a bit overweight, a little bit of a Luddite, and reminded me a lot of Mr. Incredible from The Incredibles. But again, I give this movie the benefit of the doubt because the, the nuclear family might be you know, sort of the same components of The Incredibles with the older sister, the younger brother, and the overweight father who's trying to keep everything together. 
but they don't have superpowers. So for that reason, I'm going to not compare the movie to The Incredibles. If anything, it actually is incredible, pun intended, that this family comes together and saves humanity the way that they do. And I actually did really like the subplots and the plot twist of this film. It actually defied uh, conventionality in a way that not a lot of other animated films besides most of the ones from Disney Pixar do. And when this family finally comes together and takes on the technology gone bad, it actually is really funny and very impressive. And the animation begins to become much better at this point. I do have to say though, there's one time where in this movie where the family seeks refuge in a mall and then they find that the technology begins to come after them. But, but one of the interesting parts of this uh, movie is when they find actually Furbies a have come back and B are also taken over by the bad technology in, in the, I think probably one of the only parts of the movie where I was kind of questionable, why would you be afraid of Furbies? Furbies are just annoying, but they wouldn't hurt you. But with that, there actually was a giant uh, Furby that comes after the family. And that was actually one of the scenes that made up for the questionable premise of even including Furbies in the first place. It didn't feel like product placement, even though it may have been. But when the giant Furby comes to life and begins to attack the Mitchell family, I actually did find that very funny, especially when the uh, Linda, the patriarch of the family, actually says, why would they build one of these things? Which is exactly how I felt in 1998 when Furby became the Tickle Me Elmo of the holiday season. And then, unlike Tickle Me Elmo, the following season, or rather the following month, you saw ads in the newspaper, because remember this was 1998, saying 50 bucks for my Furby, the next week it was $25 for my Furby, the next week it was $10 for my Furby, and the following week it was, I will pay you to take away my Furby. Because, yeah, the novelty of that toy wore off quicker than MySpace. It was pretty incredible. But the Mitchells versus the Machines, I think, starts off kind of conventionally. We've, we have seen that trope before where a child wants to do something artistic and the parents are against it because it won't be uh, financially stable. That's a trope we've seen before. But I think once the technology goes bad and this family who has some experience dealing with technology but not a lot other than the uh, teenager in the family constantly looking on her smartphone, I think that's where the movie really starts to get going. So it saved itself towards the second half of the film and got a lot better. Plus, the animation, especially when the Mitchell family is fighting off all this technology, gets a lot better. So the Mitchells versus the Machines is a late save, but the Mitchells versus the Machines, I'm giving my rating of a knockout. The animation is very impressive. The voice cast is really talented. I think all four voice actors here, Abby Jacobson, Danny McBride, Maya Rudolph, and Michael Rianda 
come together really well. And there's also some very funny uh, supporting voice performances by the likes of Fred Armisen and Conan O'Brien, who actually voice the robots who get reprogrammed to be on the Mitchell side. Those were not voices, or at least as far as Conan O'Brien was concerned, I would have expected to hear in such an animated movie, but it all comes together. It, It starts out conventionally, ends up very original, and also ends sweeter than I would have expected. So the Mitchells versus the Machines certainly puts its footing in some tropes, but is able to leap off quite nicely. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into movies that are coming out on streaming and eventually movies that are coming out in theaters. And I was tempted to tell you about movies that are coming out in theaters, but I don't see a ton that are that you would see at a theater near you. They look like independent releases, but I'm just going to get started with streaming and I'm going to start with Netflix, the platform with which I normally start. So on for the week of May 16th through May 21st, 2021, there are a few films that are premiering as Netflix originals and others that are making an appearance on the platform that are not Netflix originals. One that is going to be premiering or rather making an appearance on Netflix on Sunday, May 16th is a movie that is called Slight and Slight is a film about a magician that believe it or not was actually released um, or produced by WWE pictures, despite the fact that a, this movie has nothing to do with wrestling and B surprisingly, no wrestlers are actually in the film. But Slight, which is spelled S-L-E-I-G-H-T, which means sleight of hand, is a movie I have reviewed on the show before. It's the movie about a young street musician who's played by Jacob Lattimore, who is left to care for his little sister after their parents' passing and turns to illegal activities to keep a roof over their heads. When he gets in too deep, his sister is kidnapped, and he is forced to use his magic and brilliant mind to save her. And... I I know that uh, WWE uh, produced this picture, or WWE Films, I should say. I think that Bloomhouse also had a role in distributing this film as well. And some supporting actors in this film include Storm Reed, who plays Jacob Lattimore's younger sister, Tina. 
Uh, Seychelle Gabrielle, who plays his love interest. Sashir Zameda from Saturday Night Live, who plays her his uh, neighbor and also friend. But, man, Sashir Zameda is gorgeous. I don't know why she wasn't the... Um, the love interest in this film, but what can you do? Uh, also, some other supporting performances by Cameron Esposito, Dulé Hill. I think Dulé Hill plays the villain of this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. But Slight, excuse me, Slight is appearing on Netflix on Sunday, May 16th. So if you want to check it out for yourself, there you go. On Tuesday, May 18th, a film is premiering called Sardar Ka Grandson. Sardar Khan Grandson. I don't know what language that is, but I'm just about to find out. It sounds like it is Indian or Middle Eastern. It is a movie that is a Netflix original that is about a devoted grandson who embarks on a complicated and comic journey to fulfill his ailing grandmother's last wish. Sounds like a good premise. What that wish is, I don't know. But it's directed by Kashvi Nair, and I don't want to say it's a ho- uh, it's a Bollywood film because Bollywood is a certain section of the Indian uh, filmmaking industry. But there are other uh, Indian filmmaking industries besides Bollywood, so I don't want to immediately jump to that conclusion. But this is an Indian film. It is a Netflix original, and if you are interested in checking it out. It will be premiering on the platform on Tuesday, May 18th. Again, it is a Netflix original. On Wednesday, May 19th, there are three films, none of which are Netflix originals, that will be premiering on the platform. They are called The Last Days, Sabotage, and Small Town Crime. Because they're not Netflix originals, I won't delve into exactly what they're about because I don't know and I don't really have time to check out Um, every single uh, description. On Thursday, May 20th, there are two films that are not Netflix originals that will be appearing on the platform. They include Hating Peter Tatchell and Spy Kids All the Time in the World. Uh, The Spy Kids films, I've seen the first one, but I haven't seen the other three. So I believe that All the Time in the World is the fourth film. And actually, it is. It is directed just like the other Spy Kids films were by Robert Rodriguez, who also wrote the film. And in addition to the aforementioned Spy Kids in the film, including um, uh, Daryl Sabara and Alexa Panavega, who the latter of whom grew up to be a beautiful young woman, by the way, the movie also co-stars Jessica Alba, Jeremy Piven, Joel McHale, and Danny Trejo, the latter of whom is a, a Robert Rodriguez staple. He's in so many Robert Rodriguez movies. But I do remember Spy Kids 4D actually coming out in theaters in 2011. It didn't do very well, and the reason it's 4D is because it was a 3D movie, because 3D films were huge uh, 10 years ago. I think the novelty of 3D films has worn off considerably, but they're still around, especially for big films like those in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, it's 4D because apparently the movie was a romoscope, 
So the fourth dimension, according to Spy Kids 4D all the time in the world, was smell, which is not a dimension. If you read any um, science fiction books like The Time Machine or Wrinkle in Time, it's established that the fourth dimension, well, the, the three dimensions are length, width, and depth. Fourth dimension is time. So technically, any 3D movie is also a 4D movie when you consider that the fourth dimension is time. But then again, that's according to science fiction books, not scientists themselves. But anyway, Spy Kids All the Time in the World is appearing on Netflix on Thursday, May 20th. If you want to check it out, there you go. On Friday, May 24th, there is, excuse me, 21st, there is actually one Netflix original film that is going to be premiering. And this one is called Army of the Dead. And the title of that movie sounds intriguing. And I don't know if it is related to Army of Darkness, for instance. Somehow I doubt it. It isn't. It's a movie that's directed by Zack Snyder, and it stars Dave Bautista, Ella Purnell, and Ana de la Riguera. And this is a movie that um, is about a zombie apocalypse, actually. Following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted, or so the movie description tells us. So this seems a little bit like a mindless action movie, uh, but I'm still going to see it, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed the, or rather told you about, given you a spoken word preview of the Netflix originals and other movies that will be appearing on Netflix the week of May 16th through May 24th, excuse me, May 16th to May 21st, 2021, I'm going to go into one movie that is an Amazon original that will be, will be premiering on Amazon Prime on Friday, May 21st. And the movie is a concert documentary, which is called Pink, All I Know So Far. This is about the singer Pink and her 20 plus years in the music business. And let me just get you a better description of this documentary. It is a behind-the-scenes look at Pink as she balances family and life on the road, which can't be easy, leading up to her first Wembley Stadium performance on 2019's Beautiful Trauma World Tour. It, it is amazing to me to hear about world tours because we went over a year without there being a world tour, and Pink managed to get one in right before the pandemic hit. So... I am definitely open to watching concert movies, and I've liked Pink for many years. I think that Misunderstood is probably one of the most underrated albums of the um, decade from 2000 to 2009. It's an album that was so good that I was listening to a song 
when I was in high school on the radio called Don't Let Me Get Me. And when I heard the line, I'm tired of being compared to damn Britney Spears. She's so pretty. That just ain't me. Truth be told, I went to my local music store and bought the album Misunderstood right then and there. And I was not disappointed either. I was actually kind of surprised that there weren't more hit songs off that album. So, as you can tell, I'm a fan of Pink. Another series is going to be premiering. This is a limited series, and it's called Solos. And this one has an all-star cast, including, but not limited to, Anthony Mackie, Anne Hathaway, and Morgan Freeman, amongst other people. Let me get a description of this. Solos. Even though it's a limited series, limited series are actually not out of the question onwards on film, even though I try to avoid reviewing... Uh, TV shows, but uh, this show solos is about seven unique character driven stories. Each character in this series will set off on a thrilling adventure in an uncertain future. And they'll come to reckon. This is what the description says. Not they'll come to recognize they'll come to reckon. I guess guess somebody from the South wrote, wrote this. They'll come to reckon that even during our most isolated moments, we are all connected through the human experience. My guess, excuse me, my guess is that Solos is going to deal directly with the pandemic, but I don't know for sure. So to give you an ex, um, a more complete uh, cast listing, this movie or the series stars Uzo Aduba, who played Crazy Eyes on Orange is the New Black, and fortunately is still having a, an illustrious movie and TV career. The, uh, the, the series also stars Nicole Bihari, who I don't know, but she's very pretty, Morgan Freeman, Constance Wu, another actress I like, Anne Hathaway, Anthony Mackie, Helen Mirren, Jack Quaid, and Dan Stevens. And I'm very thankful I looked this up because I was only going from the picture of it on the website that I'm getting this preview from, and I was tempted to say Bradley Cooper. Dan Stevens is certainly a doppelganger for Bradley Cooper, but I'm so glad I held my tongue and said that, except when I just confessed to you what this is all about here. So those are the originals that are going to be premiering on Amazon Prime on Friday, May 21st. On Disney Plus, there is one uh, Disney Plus original that's going to be premiering, and it's called Inside Pixar Unpacked. And my guess is that this is a documentary. Uh, And there are actually a couple of movies and TV shows called Inside Pixar. I think it's a limited series. But I don't know what Unpacked stands for, but rest assured... It is a story about Pixar and the uh, certain people who work there. So that would be interesting to see. I think I will uh, make it a point to see that. And let's see what's going on on HBO Max. Are there any originals that are going to be premiering on there? There is a series called Pause with Sam J, but no HBO or HBO Max original movies that I can see today, Saturday, May 15th, there is actually a 2020 film that, uh, appeared on the platform. That's called 
the personal history of David Copperfield. Now, I don't know if this is David Copperfield, the Charles Dickens character, or the magician, but I'd be willing to see it. Um, I don't have time to look it up right now, but that is on HBO Max today. And I did review Those Who Wish Me Dead. That premiered on Friday, May 14th, 2021. If you want to check that out on HBO Max, it is on there for 31 days. But it will be in theaters when you are fully vaccinated and it is it will be safe for you to go to a movie theater. And rest assured, that will be me next week. And I'm looking at Hulu now, and there is a series uh, original on Hulu called Marvel's Modoc. And unfortunately, I can't I'm not a comic book expert, so I don't know what Modoc is, M-O-D-O-K. Uh, It is an acronym. What it stands for, don't ask me, but it's also a series, which means that I will not be reviewing it for you. Um, But if you want to check it out on Hulu, be my guest. And I think that does it for streaming services. Uh, There is, there's a Paramount Plus original that's going to be premiering on Thursday, May 27th, but I won't describe that for you until next week. However, I will tell you about some films that are coming out or slated to come out, subject to come out, I should say, in theaters beginning Friday, May 21st. One of the films is called Dream Horse, and it tells the story about Dream Alliance, which is the name of an unlikely racehorse bred by small-town Welsh bartender Jan Vokes. With no experience, Jan convinces her neighbors to chip in their meager earnings to help raise Dream in the hopes he can compete with the racing elites. I don't know why somebody would name a male horse Dream, but then again, it sounds more like the name you give to a unicorn, particularly one that's drawn by Lisa Frank. But that's probably dating me a little bit. But the movie stars Tony Collette, Damian Lewis, Owen Teal, and uh, Sion Phillips. I hope I pronounced that name right. It's a Gaelic name. But Dream Horse will be appearing in theaters. I can't guarantee that they're going to be premiering in a theater near you. But if you check out your art house cinema, this movie might be coming out there. There's another film that is a sci-fi thriller that's called Zone 414 or 414. I don't know how they pronounce it. But this is set in the near future in a colony of state-of-the-art humanoid robots, which sounds very much like the Mitchells versus the machine. Uh, machines, I should say. But when its creator's daughter goes missing, he hires private investigator David Carmichael to bring her home. David teams up with Jane, a highly advanced and self-aware AI, to track down the missing daughter. And moving through the dangerous Iron Jungle... Great name for a technological apocalypse. They rapidly piece together the mystery, uncovering a crime that leads them to question the origins of Zone 414 and the true purpose behind the City of Robots. You know, honestly, City of Robots would have been a much better title for this movie than Zone 414. Because Zone 414 sounds way too technical. But again, that is just my opinion. Uh, the movie stars Guy Pierce, who's a competent actor. Even when he's in a bad movie, very much like Alan Cumming, 
he a usually gives it his all and b he is never the worst part of a movie but guy pierce is the lead in this film again guy pierce is an underrated actor but he's still making a living from uh acting it also stars travis fimmel colin excuse me colin salmon and ned dennehy those other three actors i don't know particularly well but zone 414 Check it out if it's coming out in a theater near you. And I can't guarantee that I'm going to be reviewing the show for you next week. But if I see it, I will. There's another film that's subject to come out called The Dry. A lot of uh, foreign films this week. It's a movie about a guy by the name of Aaron Falk. F-A-L-K. I'm trying to pronounce that name as (laughs) cautiously as I can. Because I could mispronounce it and violate a major FCC rule. But anyway, Aaron Falk returns to his drought-stricken hometown to attend a tragic funeral, as opposed to a happy funeral? (laughs) I guess so. But his return opens a decades-old wound, the unsolved death of a teenage girl. This movie stars Australian actor Eric Bana, as well as Genevieve O'Reilly, Keir O'Donnell, and John Poulsen. Sounds kind of interesting, but I can't guarantee I'm going to see it. And the other films that are going to be... Uh, subject to be released in theaters are American films. So, but they don't have many other actors you might know, but I, I have time for one more. So I'll tell you American fighter is a movie that was made in 2019, not released until now. And I think that's going to be a constant pattern with movies that are released into theaters in the coming weeks and months, maybe even the next year. But American Fighter is a gritty action tale about a young wrestler who competes in the world of underground fighting to raise money for his ailing mother. But will he survive his next match? That sounds like a very conventional storyline, but the movie stars Greg Kosturos, Tommy Flanagan, Sean Patrick Flannery from the Boondock Saints, and Brian Craig. So American Fighter is subject to premiere in theaters on May 21st. It's probably not a movie I'll see, but if you find it in your local theater, it's up to you whether or not to see it for yourself. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.